Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Yeah, How I are you? Dirt. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. What's the it's dirt from? It's very nice from? to see you. Yeah, it's good to uh, see you too. I was just uh, planting things. Uh-huh. Uh, kill- I was killing things by accident. Uh, yeah, planted yeah. a tree yesterday and I was just trying to resuscitate it. Oh, what ha- why? What happened? You just didn't. It didn't, it didn't like the sun. It's a bare oh. root thing. Oh, oh, I see. It's dumb. And you're I'm in, dumb. You're in Vermont, right? Yes. 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 And how long have you been there? since 2007 seven i think yeah so just over 13 years my math is good (laughs) my math is tight it's easy when (laughs) it's easy when the year ends in zero it's you know it always is helpful for at least i know um what made you choose vermont well i lived here for a little bit when i was a little kid and I was madly in love with it and always wanted to come back. And then I, I, I came here for a visit once because I, I had gone to Maine with my best friend and, and we had a rental car. So we were like, Vermont's only like eight minutes away because it's yeah, yeah. upper New England. It's really tiny. So uh, we came out and I found all of my old neighbors and oh, wow. the place I had lived before, and no one had died, and no one had aged, and I thought, kind of, that's probably where I need to live. <laughs> it has a magical, it, a magical it, it fountain does. of youth. Yeah, it really does. And even the elderly people from when I was a kid were still alive. Wow! I was just like, damn. Does, does nobody smoke? Because usually it's the smoking that gets you. Uh, I think there's a few died in the wool. Yeah, smokers yeah. but i don't see many of them right yeah no then again i, does I live in the woods yeah yeah you bought yourself a farm i did had, had you always wanted to kind of and is it a work it's kind of a working farm isn't it it's well my house burned down in 2017 so it's kind of not a working farm right now i see but we've been trying me and jeff who was just off camera have been trying to like set up the foundations of being able to actually work it because there are some parts of it that are leased out, well, not leased, that my neighbors use for grazing cows or hay. Yeah. Um, and then part of it became kind of a wildlife uh, rehabilitation area because there's so much milkweed here Yeah. that I just let it go. And now we have lots of monarch butterflies. Oh, cool. So trying to kind of see if I can do that. And then... 
I'll probably farm some trees. Yeah. And uh, it used to be a sheep farm. Uh-huh. People I bought it from, but I'm not a real... Like, if I could kill a tree, I'm not going to look after any sheep. I get it, yeah. You know? Mammal, mammals are very intensive, you know, yeah. labor-intensive, yeah. Exactly, and if something happens to me, I know that my dogs and the cat will eat me. <laughs> so that, I mean, they have that going for them. But sheep, I don't really think they would do that, so i Right, worry. no. No, yeah. She, yeah, they would wait for the grass to grow up through your corpse, and then they would maybe have uh, <sighs> They're too polite. Yeah. They're just too polite to well, that's feast cool. now, upon when you my say, corpse. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you say uh, when you say like monarch butterflies, like can you get like some sort of status as a sanctuary? For you that, can, or? and I have not tried that. But my farm is in the uh, current use program, which means it's open for logging or farm animals or what have you. So that that kind of all falls in line. Um, I do grow vegetables and hopefully will be full-time farming at some point. Yeah. But it's not really been uh, the most, uh, I just ha- I haven't been home. Yeah. Well, that's Rock. what I was going to say. It's got to be hard to be a, a rocker and a farmer. Satan is a really harsh boss. <laughs> and, you know, when you give your life to Satan for right, rock sure. and roll, right, you exactly. don't really get a pick. You don't always get a pick when you're home. No, no. Yeah. Satan doesn't care about your fucking monarch butterflies. <laughs> no, he fucking doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> he could just make those if he wishes. That's right. If he so desires. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, you know, and they'll, you know, spit acid or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you've lived all over the place, mm. uh, and and um, do you do you think you're settled here now? Do you think you'll be? There oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it here. I don't. I don't really want to move anywhere. Did you not like wandering? Were you, or did you? You know, or did, did it like, have its place at a time? It has its place, and it still does. Like if I didn't work for Satan, I don't think I would get. I might actually start to go a little stir crazy, but yeah, in this time of force being at home i haven't really felt that yeah i've i've kind of needed a break from the road so this massive uh human population devastation came along at a really good time yeah it's funny because i've i've there i have friends and they're well i mean most of my friends are show business in one way or another and i have friends who sheepishly admit like i kind of like this like i kind of like having to stay home and having to be with my yeah. family and yeah it's really nice and you know if if jeff and i didn't travel together i don't think i'd ever see him so luckily yeah. he he works with me a lot of the time but you know the i might get really sad about the animals and it's yeah. nice to see a season happen i haven't mm-hmm. been here to see like the little creatures budding in the forest you know in a yeah, long yeah. in a long long time so it's it's uh it's a world of natural wonders yeah. that I've been missing. And so yeah. I, I feel pretty good and balanced. Um, and, you know, I, I sound sarcastic about it, but I'm trying. I'm definitely trying to find the silver lining of, you know, all of my work being canceled. And, yeah. you know, I'm still ghost working. Meaning? Because, uh, well, there's like a bunch of other projects I'm writing for. So there's that, which yeah. is nice. Um, Satan's always got something. Sure. 
going on. Right. But he's very diversified. Yeah. 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 If I'm yeah. not, uh, you know, putting corpses through the grinder, I'm working <laughs> on a Broadway show. Right. Sure. Why not? What, Which but, is another yeah. way to put corpses through a grinder, you know, depending exactly. on the show. Yeah. Exactly. Now, where are you originally from? Washington State. You were born in Washington State? Uh, yeah. No, or, I no. was born in Alexandria, Virginia, Fairfax County, because my dad yeah. was in the Air Force. Oh, I but see. But that's the only reason I was born there is because yeah. he was stationed there at the time. But my family are all Washington State uh, people. Originally? Well, I mean, not really. They're yeah, yeah. immigrants. But that's kind of, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, They're Ukrainians and- in washington state who Uh farmed and then some of them were i don't know uh white people (laughs) various white people who came from oklahoma to do farming so yeah (laughs) yeah they really know how to find each other are there a lot of ukrainians in washington state i mean no there are no i mean there might be now but at the time i i really think we were the only ones wow and i thought we were russians Oh, really? Because they didn't, the, my family who actually came over from Ukraine came through Russia and they would never speak of it. Oh, And wow. they didn't teach their kids to speak it. Yeah. you know, and I remember going to visit my uncle Bill at one point to look at some old uh, documents, you know, like uh, how they, when they came into the country and, and I could read Russian, but I, I didn't speak it well. Mm-hmm. And so I read him the documents, and so he was like, oh, oh, yeah. And so he kind of told me what some stuff meant, and he's like, well, I don't speak Russian. I only speak Ukrainian because we're Ukrainian. And I think I was like 30 <laughs> at that point, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I know. Uh, actually, I have a friend that's Ukrainian, and uh, he and his family just speak in Russian, and he said that you had to kind of, he had to l- learn Ukrainian in school, but that's not really what anybody uses just because of mm-hmm. the, oh, you know, the oppression, uh, <laughs> because yeah, of the occupation and, you know, and the oppression. Exactly. Yeah. And I've been told by Ukrainian people, like, do, do not pronounce like an occupier. Oh, really? Don't don't roll the R there or whatever for yeah, yeah. whatever phrasing. <laughs> like, no, no, you're speaking like an occupier. Yeah. Did did uh, being one of the few Ukrainians did it give you a feeling of being othered in any way? I mean, you know, did no, you No, they never spoke of it. Yeah. We were white trash. Like yeah, okay. That we just fit right in with that. It was kind of I I was born in nineteen seventy, so it was still of the era that your otherness was not to be spoken of really, because you right. did you really did not want to be other. Yeah. Especially, you know, during the Cold War. Absolutely. You don't you don't really want to be Russians cuz you right. know nobody really knew what Ukrainians were at the time. Yeah. Not that they necessarily do now, but No, I know. No people they're not they're very sort of I mean aside from 90 Day Fiance, I think that's people's maybe their biggest I don't know if you know mm, that show. I don't. A lot of, lot of Ukrainian uh a lot of people wanting to marry Ukrainian women on that show. Mhm. It's a Oksana yeah, I love you. Yeah, Svetlana. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's. I think that that's right. I think people. I one thing I will 
all it blew my mind and it's and i this is kind of name droppy but it's i've been on a tv show forever and one of the coolest things about that was that i got to know tony bennett because he was on our show every christmas time tb i know and my my ex-wife and i ran into him once on sixth avenue and he was on his way to berlitz where he was taking italian courses because he did not speak italian he said his parents refused to speak italian at yeah. home and he never knew Italian. So he's like, he said, my new girlfriend wants to go to Italy and she wants me to learn. So, you know, and I think. Well, that was big of him. Yeah, I think his girlfriend learn. was 17, probably. I uh, know all the TV <laughs> shows that you watch, too. It's always like everybody's, you know, speaking the, the mother tongue. But no, nope. yeah. no, it wasn't like that at all. Yeah, yeah. And I remember my roommate, he my old roommate in Vancouver uh, this was a good example of that. He was Chinese. Well, he still is Chinese. And uh, our landlord was Chinese. And my roommate was like a 35-year-old rock and roll guy who played bass in a band, you know, like. Yeah. And I and I asked him once, I was like, so, you know, what do you, what do you know about your parents' history and, and all that? And he's like, I'm like about the culture. And he's like, oh, I'm a tunnel-headed rocker. I don't know about that. <laughs> So, so it was really great when our landlord would come over because he would kind of only speak to Kev because, yeah. you know, obviously they were both Chinese. And so <laughs> he would be speaking to Kev in uh, Cantonese and Kev would be like, all right, turn the heater up. Okay, don't go past 60. All right. Like, just like the most Canadian guy ever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my landlord speaking to what to me sounded super fast and then... Kev's really laconic. Yeah, sure. Lovely, very speak, laid back. Did he speak Cantonese back with it, to him with a? No, he would only speak oh, English just, back yeah, to yeah. him like that. Yeah, but yeah. they both spoke English and Cantonese. But it was just like, yeah. what do you choose to speak at the time? Right. Yeah, because I wonder what good. Cantonese with a Canadian accent sounds like. Well, a lot, all of, you need... lot of A's thrown in there. No, but he did <laughs> teach me to say a couple really good things like uh i just puked and mm. i don't want to what's uh i just puked nothing <laughs> now and i think i don't want to is chutna so we would say that to each other all the time right usually but I that, just puked those two phrases real... <laughs> those two phrases are not in that order they're they're in opposite order yeah, i don't want and, uh, to is followed by i just puked I think elephant is daibonjung. Oh, wow. I don't think I said it right because his sisters has had uh, nicknames. Malau was monkey. Oh, wow. I remember. And one of his sisters was nicknamed elephant? Yep. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. I think she might have just had really, she might have stamped around. Oh, okay. Or had big ears, maybe, I was hoping. Yeah, I don't know. Big. She was just a big, benevolent, flappy-eared, sweet <laughs> elephant. Who was terrified of mice. Yes. Um, so um, how many kids were in your family? Just me. Yeah? Oh, just you? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Did you, when you came back to Washington, was your dad out of the Air Force at that point? Yes. Yeah. He wasn't in it for, I think it was because Vietnam ended and, you know, where's the fun in that? I guess right. we'll just go back to Washington. Yeah. And what did right. he end up, what did he do for a living? 
He was a draftsman and an electrical engineer, mm-hmm. but more like a draftsman. I, you know, honestly, I honestly, I, I can't really say that I know my family or my parents that well. I know oh, weird really? stuff about them, but yeah. like if you ask me my dad's birthday, I couldn't tell you. Really? But, you know, they, they were like 17 when they had me. Oh, okay. And I was not really a great idea yeah. <laughs> for their lives. So needless That's to a, say, they did uh, not should, marry because you, they were madly in love. Yeah. They were just madly pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> madly and how long did up. they stay married? Did they stay married or? No. No. no, no. Yeah. No. I got a good stepdad out of the deal and a couple really great cousins. But for the most part, my family are like pretty gnarly. Really? grifter kind of scammy yeah my grandparents are lovely yeah and but they made these horrible children <laughs> paternal and maternal both grandparents both yeah. sets are good yeah, oh that's great. great they were pretty great i mean i my my mom's dad i was never allowed to see him but my step grandfather was i just think of him as my grandfather so oh okay and then my stepdad's parents were also really, really wonderful people. And that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we just skip a generation super hard in my family. <laughs> but what, what was know. there at a certain age, did you realize like these people are not all they should be for me or, you know? It took a long time, but yeah. 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 I, I realized, oh, that's really messed up. Yeah. Like actually pretty abusive oh, but really? you know kids it's their first reality right so sure, it's all they course. know so they're like oh this must be happening at other people's houses too but yeah. then you go start staying overnight at your friend's house and you're i think you figure out how poor you are or how wherever you are in society before you figure out if your parents are complete turds yeah. or not first so yeah i don't know was there just was it like kind of an indifference or was it was it more active than that? Uh there was some meanness. Mm. Like they didn't beat me or anything, but they definitely didn't want me either. Mm. So it was it was pretty weird. That's a shit. It was, that's it was like, very lonely. It was a very yeah. lonely time. That's one of the just you know, I've known people where, you know, that have had parents it's mostly dads who say i never wanted kids and just they just the casualness that one rattles that off with or you know or you were an accident like that's just like it doesn't that's sort of like setting a foundation that's a little bit unstable well, at you least want to feel like you're wanted you our love child you know you could yeah yeah, yeah. That, but well i know then that's that yeah that's mm-hmm. good parenting like you were yeah, our special mom. mystery gift, you know. Yeah, Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ew. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. I did for a long time, but I, I definitely don't now. And uh, it's funny because a lot of times when I talk about this stuff, people they just go, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and then they stop talking, or. If you tell somebody something super funny, they don't know if they can laugh at it. Right. But it's really fucking funny. Yeah. Some of it. Yeah. You yeah. know, 
really is. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're a lot smarter than your parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, oh, those cute, those chimps, they tried to have a baby and they, look what they done to it. Yeah. <laughs> I I also, too, it's, it's I'm just, I'm trying to think of how to do this without specifics because <laughs> like, I have too many family members that listen to this podcast. But just I also, too, I always love and I mean, it was it was part of our family to laugh at the awful stuff, like something really yeah. kind of I mean, not, you know, not like something violent or anything, but like huge kind of emotional outburst. You know, somebody just really laying it out there and then there being sort of like stifled giggles about it. <laughs> well, I mean, laughing is a very legitimate response to yeah. being anxious, you know? I know, I know. I remember once at the border, the border god, the border, border god, that was not a Freudian slip. <laughs> the border guard was busting us for being a band when we were actually it was a big thing like we were americans coming into america and we decided like well probably be better if we don't tell them we're in a band even though it was totally legal like we were so border whipped because going through the border was has never been fun being right. in a band it's always been really invasive and shitty and they hate you because they assume you have drugs the time. and stuff yeah if they yeah. yeah so i remember a guy I think he found like I, I was with my band Mao and we were coming into America and we had postcards with our faces on it. And uh, he's like, so you're not in a band, eh? Well, then who's this? And he pulled the card out from behind his back and we just were pissing ourselves laughing. He's like, I don't know why you think this is so funny. You're in very serious trouble. And we were just pissing ourselves like we could not stop laughing it really was the funniest thing ever it would have been awesome if you pulled out a t-shirt you know if you just like kept pulling up piece after piece of merch just you know oh if he just ripped his border guard <laughs> shirt open and he was wearing one of or a tattoo his yeah. mouth tattoo yeah well who's my favorite band <laughs> and it's just like a huge yeah well what kind of kid were you i mean did you end up you know acting out because of this or I mean what were you no I was a pretty nice quiet little kid uh I don't know it was such a strange time like th there was a certain generation that was like just ahead of me that I think brought attention to the fact that you can't just ignore your children and maybe neglect isn't such a great thing so yeah. I was like super ADD and ADHD, whatever it was at the time. And so I, I didn't really do that well in school, but I was really quiet and well-behaved, so nobody told my parents that. Mm -hmm. um, not that they would care, but there was a point where I actually didn't go to school a lot. I was like tired or whatever, and I, I was like, I'll watch cartoons and then I'll show up later. <laughs> what age, what age is this? This was like fifth, sixth, fourth grade and around you, there. Don't you need nobody permission? told my dad? Oh, you do. Yeah, but wow. nobody bothered to tell my dad. Wow. So I, I don't. I got away with it, but that wouldn't really happen now. I don't think. I don't. And think, then I don't know. How you know, I think I, I was not an aggressive boy. 
And so uh, that might be why, the, if, if I wasn't causing a problem, because I remember my poor cousin, he had ADHD really bad and like had to be on Ritalin and like the sweetest guy ever, you know, he would have like hard times with his temper. And so the family was kind of focused on that, which I totally get. Like I had no idea that I needed some help with focus or whatever. Yeah. But uh, so I was just kind of invisible. I was a quiet, invisible person. And were you okay with that? Uh, unless people picked on me, I was pretty okay with it. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the friends the friends I ended up making were pretty great a lot of times. But then some kids would pick on you <clears throat> or, or me and they would bully me a little bit, which I didn't really put up with all that much. Yeah. Well, I what, mean, what... There, was, there was some things that I let happen that, you know, I was just trying to be nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I, I think about just being a kid and being so, uh, just being so afraid of either getting in trouble or like, mm -hmm. you know, looking back and just thinking like <clears throat> how much shit I ate from different kind. Of, and I was, I was always kind of big. So it's not like I was bullied, but there were definitely, mm -hmm. there were definitely kids who's, I will never forget who just seemed to have like a, a thing about me, you know, just wanted that just, there was like two or three and I would just, and I, there's times I look back and I just think, ah, I just feel humiliated thinking back about what a fucking yeah. you know, coward I was, I guess. Well, I mean, how I mean, do you I react to just straight up cruelty? I know, I know. When and you're a kid, you're like, a, yeah. that cruelty is a very complicated yeah. sort of behavior and you know it, it's it's a very malignant yucky mm -hmm. thing and it's like are they being cruel because of a really you know they're just super insecure and that kind of behavior will stop soon or are they gonna like be the people who actually torture kittens and stuff right right yeah how do we don't have any way of knowing at yeah. that point so and especially when too, we're kids especially yeah. i think like i i noticed when my first kid when my son you know, we were we're pretty good parents, but there was I noticed when he was little and started socializing with other little kids and other little kids might be mean or something to him. This look on his face of like, what is this? Like he just had never experienced somebody just being mean and shitty to him. And there is kind uh -huh. of like this like, why the fuck are you doing that? Like that's out of out of, you know, that comes out of the sky. I know he, he just wants to look behind him like, is there somebody else here you're mad at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? yeah. I know there's a lot of disbelief. Yeah. And I think it's weird. Like I see a lot of people experiencing that disbelief in adulthood. It's like they've been really sheltered or something. And you just want to help them out. You're like, yeah, yeah. Don't take that personally because there's really no point. But yeah, it, yeah. it's a really very strange learning thing that you go through as a kid do you what do you think can what do you think the transition from being a kid that's as you said okay with being invisible to being someone that stands on stage and you know everyone looks at her and hears her voice i mean do you think those two things are connected in some way or i think there's just sort of a gradual progression from one just to the other from from wallflower to megalomaniacal tyrant yeah, yeah. to satan worship <laughs> overnight satan worshiping, satan worshiping rock god well you know 
Satan was just a really fun companion. You know, I could be who I really was with him. Yeah. And you say so, was, though. You say was. It's like, are you guys on the outs? Oh, no, not at all. I, I'm still that person. But, you know, there's a period between childhood and adulthood that you and Satan get to go to, you know, festivals together and sure, stuff. It's not yeah, like yeah. your job is super demanding or anything. Right. It's before I buckled down. All and, right. Uh, yeah, you know. And Satan has other things to do. I'm not his only devotee. So um, I Such totally, humility. I guess, I guess I was always a much louder person than I realized. Oh, I see. I think that I was just a quiet wallflower of a kid because there weren't other, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I didn't have the easiest time making friends mm-hmm. as a little kid. Like, I remember being in middle school, which is like the gnarliest time for most people, where you can't believe how petty children can be. Oh, yeah. I remember like I was scummy and poor. My clothes were stupid. And and that's when I actually, for half a year, I moved to Vermont with my stepdad and my mom. And all the kids were... I think I went to a school where there was literally 40 kids. It was like a Norman Rockwell painting. And there was no like deep seated, weird, like uh, materialism going on. We yeah. were pretty rural and uh, everybody's pretty kids equal. were really nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and people shared stuff. And I really, really enjoyed myself. And I think that was a very life changing experience. And then going back to my junior high, I was just like, oh, fucking kill me already yeah i mean not in the way that i really wanted to die but you know yeah no i know what you mean yeah um were you singing at this point Mm, no no i mean i sang along with the radio like i was heavily into music i was totally obsessed with music and uh my dad had a lot of records and so i really enjoyed that and you know I think kind, right kind when stuff? I got rock and roll, rock and uh, roll stuff, yeah. yeah, you know, Heart, Fleetwood Mac, stuff like that. I was really into that. Yeah. Um, and uh, MTV started like right around the time I got back from Vermont. So I just like when MTV came to my world, mm-hmm. I was obsessed. Oh, yeah. I was at exactly the right age, and I was exactly enough into music to make MTV. I was the target audience, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. I'm f- I'm four years older than you, I think, and and it was it really was when it came around. It was like, what the fuck is this? It just you yeah. couldn't believe that you could just sit and watch. And it, it's so funny because it was it seemed like okay now music videos that's going to be a thing forever, and it it wasn't. You know? No, and uh, sometimes I go and I I watch some of the old videos that are like just super conceptual and like as a young person I was like that's deep or <laughs> or look at all the space there is for meaning in here and really it's just super conceptual and silly but yeah you know I I don't know what it spoke to in my brain like just like oh look at all these little worlds yeah. Because I always thought of music, I think, as very cinematic. And I think that that just came along right at the exact right time. 
yeah. to make it make it that in real life. And uh, at what point do you start making music? Um, I started playing drums in a band right around I was like seventeen, I mm-hmm. think. Um, do you just had, pick up I the drums? Do you have lessons or? Uh, no, I had some friends who I was really close to, and uh, they had another band. My friend Greg. And so we just, my friend Greg and Andy and um, my friend Laura, and so we decided to start a band because we were always hanging out over there anyway, and there's a full drum set set up, and I wanted to play the drums, and they were like, sure, let's do it. So I don't know. They they made me feel good about myself, and it was way funner than I thought it was going to be, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, I started on the drums probably because I was super aggressive, at the same time as being super shy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a really good, it was a good fit. But then, yeah. you know, I realized later that I was not the greatest drummer in the world, but I wanted to sing all the, like I sang all the time and I, that's all I wanted to do. Yeah. But I didn't really do it in front of people per se. Really? I wasn't, I wa- I'm not like a, hey, look at me kind of guy. Yeah. So it, it wasn't really like that. Are you, now when you get into your teen years and you start to have to kind of, you know, I mean, the world sort of expects you to start thinking about what you're going to do with yourself. Mm-hmm. Was it just about music, you think? Or was were you just kind of following the fun of music and it just kind of ended up becoming your life? Or your work? Music, well, even though my family really sucked, like, Everybody in it liked music and dogs. So there was that. Um, that smooths and my, things my over. Grand, yeah, my, my grandmother on my mom's side loved country music, so she listened to lots of really great country music, so I liked country music too. And, you know, rap music started in in my childhood. Like, all these cool things were just beginning. And... It was so cool to see them start happening. Yeah. And so it, it was definitely worth paying attention to. It wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't, uh, I don't know. I think, I'm sure you felt this too, just the constant dread of nuclear war mm-hmm. was looming over us all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever bad's going on in your life, you know, in mine, it was like, the threat of nuclear war, the constant reminder of the threat of nuclear war, and then like whatever fucked up religion your parents are getting into at the time. Like my, <laughs> I remember my dad becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, but like, no, he couldn't just become a regular one. He had to go for the super hardcore ones where like, oh, all these rock and roll records that you've been loving your whole life that make you feel at home, these are satanic. And I can tell you firsthand my family never learned who Satan was. They were looking in the wrong place, Andy. Um, <laughs> they had the wrong guy. They had the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, well, did, he do, didn't... did he get rid of his albums? Was he doing that kind of shit? Like... Uh, yeah. Oh, and uh, some of them he just kept. And like, you know, drinking caffeine was bad. So yeah, we would have yeah. like, you can't have a Coke anymore. You have to have a caffeine free coke or I don't know it was dumb and you know hardly a hardship but 
when you're not noticed by your family and then all of a sudden you have to adhere to these really strict things that make absolutely no fucking sense to you. Yeah. I'm like, Pepsi's satanic? How? What? Like, now I know that they pretty much are, but in a very different way. Sure. It's just, um, and then, but, so, to the point I was trying to make, my, my parents, my dad and his sister and her husband were super into this super hardcore Seventh-day Adventist thing, and they would bring home these reel-to-reel tapes of this guy. His name was Todd something. I can't remember. But he had these real fire and brimstone sermons about Satan's real, and he's walking down the street, and he will reach out, and he will kill you. Like, and I'm a kid going, fuck. Yeah. Life is, it's it's already shitty. Like, now I gotta, like, carry a knife because Satan's gonna be, like, in his... What do you do? And finally, I, I was like, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. So they wouldn't play the tapes while I was around. But just seeing these giant reel-to-reel tapes of a... <laughs> now it's the most ridiculous, hilarious image in my mind. Right. Them sitting around just like hovering over a giant bong, listening to this guy <laughs> <laughs> talk about Satan. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and how he was like literally in the backyard right now, <laughs> just watching us through the fucking window. Uh, also, too, Pepsi is of Satan, but a giant bong is okay. You know, exactly. That- <laughs> well, that's for pain, Andy. Right. And it's of nature. God, no, do- well, God no doesn't Pepsi want us to suffer. Well, no. It it was bad, but they were going to get forgiven for that eventually, uh, I sure. guess. Right, right. I don't know. Well, but you I just, I just, the, just picture a giant reel-to-reel, my three totally white trash relatives, like, making the tiniest peanut butter and tiny cheese cracker sandwiches, <laughs> like, on a paper plate with yeah. the giant tequila sunrise wow. plastic bong, like. Listening party. Scaring and I and it scared the living shit out of me. How so, old are you at this point? I think I'm like anywhere from eight to thirteen. Jesus there. Christ! Like, yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I ran. I ran into a kid in Hollywood years later who had gone to the same Saturday school as me um, when we were going to church, and and uh, he, I was like, oh my god. How how can you believe they made us go to that fucking wet carpeted pedophile circus? And he was just like, <laughs> I really enjoyed my time there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck, sorry. I mean, yes, the carpet was wet, but I still got a lot out Mildewy of it. Mildewy carpet pedophile circus <laughs> fucking. Uh, yeah. And then I do remember there was a really great time in Saturday school. There was this kid and I can't remember his name and I really wish I could because Saturday school is like Sunday school, but you go on Saturday and my group of kids were like the pre, the young teens or whatever. And Def Leppard was really huge at the time. And this kid wore his Def Leppard shirt under his Sunday shirt. And the sun or the Saturday school teacher was giving him a hard time. And he was like, no, I do not believe Def Leppard or satanic. And I will not stop listening to them. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of swoon when I think back. I'm like, yeah, God, yeah. I wish that I had kept in touch with that kid over yeah. the years. I was too shy to have like even really talked to him, but I wonder what he's doing today. Wow. 
I maybe he probably he's probably like one cubicle over from me in Satan's office, but <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, maybe he works for Def Leppard. God, I hope you know? he works for Def Leppard. That'd be nice. Well, pussy metal. Uh, how do you start? He defended you- pussy metal in Saturday school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard the phrase pussy metal. Well, Does that mean it's about if you're pussy of a certain stripe? No, it, they're just kind of pussy. It's an insult. I see. Yeah, yeah. It's like a it's soft like hair rock. band or something. Yeah, because yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. like just getting into Motley Crue, were way heavier than them. But then if you're listening to like Slayer, you're kind of like that's like yeah. kids' music, right? Or bon Def Leppard. Bon Jovi to me was always seemed like the one oh, that was kind of total like total pussy yeah, metal. Yeah, yeah. Which is a compliment now because that's just kids not understanding the difference between genres and that all that stuff's bullshit. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was definitely like, ah, it's total pussy metal. But I think he made me kind of respect them yeah. through his love of them. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that usually yeah, no, people's appreciation is usually the way to to appreciate something, you know, you can, you can yeah. definitely glom onto someone's appreciation for it. Um, and yeah, you know, it's that time too seems to be, I mean, you know, there's religious kookery at all times, but if there was one, I mean, like I say, I'm four years older than you, but if there was one kind of overarching sociological phenomenon of my, you know, junior high into high school years, it was born again, Christian stuff. It was, Friends of mine that were just kids, you know, that I'd grown mm-hmm. up with, all of a sudden, you, you know, wearing ties to public high school and yeah. literally burning their albums and not go not going to parties or anything. I mean, I mean if right. at least for a little while, you know, yeah. in some little storefront and- church in four years becoming a church where, you know, 1,500 people were there or something. It's, it's you know. Yeah. And that's right around the time, like, cable TV got big. And so the channels selections, like, instead of having, you know, five channels and then HBO Showtime and yeah. Cinemax or right, whatever the right. F it was, it's like, now you have, like, 25 channels. And yeah, yeah. I don't remember seeing more evangelism going on then at that time in my life it was everywhere like the depiction in the movie repo man i always thought was really good i don't remember that that kind of it's unfortunately you'll just have to go watch repo man again it's been a long time it totally holds up oh good it's so good it is i'll show it to my kids because that's we're always looking for good stuff to look at i think they would love it yeah and uh it's super weird, but yeah, evangelism. I, I suppose a impending nuclear destruction is it kind of fertilizes the fields for that one. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I do think too, like the '60s, there was kind of everybody went crazy, and like it's like there are no boundaries and there's no rules, and it's like yeah, and you know, and then the '70s are kind of like. Yeah, there actually is. You know, and like, mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm. know, like, yeah, there is such a thing as too much drugs. And, you know, cocaine is actually not good for you. And yeah, I, how did, you know, how did you get, you know, weird sexually transmitted diseases in your nose and in your mouth? Like, how did we yeah. didn't even know they could happen? Yeah. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, that's not Satan. That's somebody else. No, that's like, I'm going to have to think about who that is. Satan probably really enjoys it, but sure. that's probably just nature right. having a time. Well, he's a fan of it. Yeah. He is. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm John Lovett, host of Love It or Leave It. Every week, I'm joined live on stage by incredible guests to break down the biggest and dumbest stories in politics and pop culture. And now, because there's too much news for just one show, join me and my friends, also known as beloved producers who have to be there, every Tuesday for a rundown of the latest headlines to help get you through another flawless week in our perfect society. Listen to episodes of Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcasts, or catch the funniest moments on the Love It or Leave It YouTube channel. I'm Phoebe Judge, host of the podcast, This Is Love. Stories about love and all of the surprising forms it can take. Like a man who finds a baby on a subway platform. A woman who spends most of her time alone until a fox starts coming around. And in one of my favorite episodes, we meet a man who forgot his wife and had to get to know her and fall in love all over again. Listen to new episodes of This Is Love wherever you get your podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a grow? What, uh, at what point do you stop singing just for yourself and you start singing for other people? What is there a transition? Well, the idea that other people were going to be there that weren't in the band was something I just kind of had to ignore. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. I played drums in bands for a long time. Um, and this is like in the Seattle scene, sort of, or uh, in Tacoma? Tacoma. Yeah. And Seattle did not, they did not acknowledge us, nor did Olympia. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of our own little island because we were scummy and poor. Um, but then when I moved to Canada to go to art school, that's when things really picked up. And it, it was really cool to, to go there at that time. I think I was 23. Um and there, it was, Canada's like one of the biggest countries in the world with one of the smallest populations. And so there wasn't this weird competition. There was still some, you know, kind of juvenile competition or whatever, but like everybody was in like four different bands. Uh-huh. Because if, if you were like a good drummer, a good bass player on the scene in Vancouver in the 90s, like somebody needs you somewhere yeah, at yeah. all times. And so... It was a pretty peaceful and kind of really nice way to get to know lots of people. Yeah. And after I started touring in Canada, like it was easy to meet a lot of people all across the country. Uh huh. And uh, it was just, there wasn't as much pressure, I think, 
So it made it easy. Where I came from, it was more like, we're in a gang. Yeah. (laughs) Then, oh, we're in this, uh, you know, multiverse of not, it's just like, we're not in a symbiotic relationship with other bands helping each other. It's more like, we're warring bands of weirdos. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was kind of like, yeah, it, it was weird. Do you think, had you started singing in Washington or, you know, because you go behind the band, behind Barely. at the back of the stage to the front of the stage. And that's a big. Well, I started as a singing drummer, which was really fun. Yeah. The coming out from behind the drums was not a very fun experience. And I didn't play guitar yet. So I felt nude and weird yeah. and exposed, but I did it anyway. Yeah, because like what I don't know. It's like, well, there's this weird thing that kind of dawns on you like, OK, so art is and and this is totally from the Reagan era, too, where if you wanted to do something creative or something in music, um, writing stuff, something in comedy, entertainment, anything, it was considered a pipe dream. Yeah. If you weren't looking to go to business school or be, a, you know, in a conventional career, you were a fucking liability. Yeah. <laughs> so you're already at ground zero. Like I'm already down in the tire track of how low I can get because I like this thing. Yeah. And then, well, I'm a boring white girl. Like nobody's going to care. So kind of what do I have to lose also? Yeah. 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 So if I have nothing to lose, might as well do it. Yeah. And then the more you do it, the more legitimate as a human being you feel in a way, unless it's not the thing that you wanted to do, unless you get in a band and you realize, ah, this really isn't for me. Some people don't like being on stage or don't like touring or whatever, but it's definitely, it definitely was fertilizer for me. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, there's a kind of an analog for me for doing comedy and doing live improv shows and there is that point where I realize I really want to do this. And really, what are the stakes? Like these 25 people, what are they going to do? You know, are they going to follow me home and make fun of me? You know, I mean, yeah. it's over. It's You go there and you do it and you either do well or you don't, you know. And as you, and as you, you know, as you progress and as you learn something, the whole worrying about whether you do well or whether you don't, you realize, oh, you can't look at, you know, like if you if you're focused on that, you're fucked. You mm-hmm. know, you got to mm-hmm. You got to not. I, you know, I always say you can't give a shit, but it's it's not exactly not giving a shit. It's but it's a kind of carefreeness, you know, yeah. and uh, to just you got to just go do it and you got to be in it. You got to. You got to just let people see you living in that space at that time uh, yep. without worrying about a bunch of judgment. So, yeah, yeah I which mean, I- totally goes back to the guy in my Saturday school defending Def Leppard. Yeah, he, it's kind of like when you see people stand up in that way, like, no, this is what I'm into. If you don't like it. So yeah, what? Yeah. I'm, I'm not uh, going to go to hell for this. Um, but, you know, I will also ignore your ridicule. Right. <laughs> God, I wish I knew his name. Well, maybe he'll hear this. You know, maybe he he, will. at least 30 or 40 people listen to this thing. So maybe. But he'll hear me have called them pussy metal and he'll be like, 
I hope you get boils on your face. <laughs> How dare you? I listen, if he can't at this point have a little sort of, you know, a, a little bit of magnanimity about somebody calling Def, Def Leppard pussy metal. Yeah. He's really, he's, he's had a rough I know. road. If he's upset know. that 12 or 13-year-old me called them pussy metal. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, now, you went, you went to Vancouver for art school. Um, mm-hmm. And what, tell me about that. What, what was art school like? What were you looking to get out of art school? Well, I had always drawn and loved art, and uh, I took a bit in junior college um, in Washington State in Tacoma at Tacoma Community College. Um, Oh, yeah, TCC. Sweet, sweet TCC. Yeah. Uh, And so Vancouver had this program or at least the the school I went to, Emily Carr College of Art and Design, they had a program where if you lived in Washington State, they would do this thing where you could go for the same price as a Canadian, Mm. which we all know is the price of community college if you want to go to real college. Yeah, yeah. Because they kind of care about education there. So I was able to afford to go to a real college because they admitted me. And I think I'm probably the last person to have gotten that because they were probably like, why the fuck yeah. are we giving this to some American? <laughs> so don't they I have had, enough? Yeah, don't. I had the greatest time in my life at that school. I, I loved it so much. I worked so hard. And I'm sure that being in bands at that time really helped um, what I was doing and you know, it's kind of you go there to learn way? how Talk you learn. About that. Like how how does being in the band help your visual art? Because you have to deal with people in the real world. Yeah. We were a small band. We had to book our own shows. We had to get paid. We had to organize our practice space, which we shared with other people. Like, you know, you live in a micro world, in a micro economy, and you really have to learn how to trim the fat and how to you know, present yourself to people and how to get what you need. Yeah. And how to do it without being a total shit shitbird. Yeah, yeah. Cuz we were not into being shitbirds. Yeah. And so that informs your art. You're making art mm-hmm. about being part of a community as opposed to making yeah. art about art. Exactly. And yeah. in Vancouver at the time, it was like I said, you know, there were only a handful of musicians, but there was a really great music scene because everybody played in each other's bands. Mm-hmm. So it was very healthy and really, it was a great time to be there. And yeah. I'm so grateful I was. What made you, what, what took you out of Vancouver? Cause you went to uh, Seattle next. Was that right? I know that- only kind of limped back to Seattle in defeat because you know, my visa was up. Oh, I see. I was poor. Oh, because you're I out of school. Oh, I see. Exactly. Sure, of course. I was living yeah. there on a student visa. So, you know, unless I married someone or something, yeah, I wasn't going to get to stay. So, uh, and nobody was going to give me a job. Um, so I didn't want to get barred from Canada because it was, you know, my life, my family, and yeah. I really valued it, and I still do. Like I, I feel like a North American rather than an American or a Canadian or whatever. Um, I, and I, I really, I still am in 
a Vancouver band, which yeah. still tours and has existed the exact same amount of time as my solo band. So, and then I play with my friend Carolyn sometimes from that area. And it, it, it's such a organic living thing. Yeah. And I would not have left it if I yeah. had, had my way, I would have moved to Toronto, but I went back to Seattle for a while and the music scene was gone. And mm. it was what year is a, this? This would this would have been nineteen ninety eight. Okay. And uh, you know there wasn't anything affordable. I think I literally lived in the last live workspace that artists had in Seattle, huh. in the old Washington Shoe Building, and they turned it into condos. So we got kicked out. So like there was nowhere you could afford to be. Yeah. So I said fuck this and. I moved to Chicago where I knew a lot of really great people and where Bloodshot Records was, who were my friends who were going to put out some of my music and and Chicago was wonderful and I made some of the best friends I've ever had and I still am very attached to that as well. Yeah. Like Seattle, I don't I love it and Hattie's Hat and the Tractor Tavern, that's kind of my Seattle, but it doesn't Everyone left or I don't know what happened. It's like the combination of Microsoft and other stuff, like two million of the greediest people on earth moved there overnight. And it was a bad fit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've never thought of it. It was that, a bad like fit. Yeah, it yeah. was like everybody complaining that it was raining all the time. Yeah. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Do you yeah, know where, yeah. where did you, did you, I'm sorry. Are we keeping you from yeah. somewhere else better? Like what? And it was kind of, you know, the startup thing of what's happening in the Bay Area. It's like, do you, how far do you go before the people who do all the jobs that you don't want to do can't be here anymore? Yeah. Like, it's, this isn't sustainable and it's overnight. And, yeah. you know, I didn't, I felt sad about it for a while. And then I realized, you know, if I was an indigenous person, from one of the tribes in that area, I would laugh me out of the building and off of a cliff yeah. for feeling any kind of sentimentality about the Seattle area because it isn't it's stupid. Yeah. And it's wrong. And it's like, yeah, it it would really be ridiculous to waste energy on that. Yeah. It is when you put it like that, it is kind of like colonialism. It's like what happens to oh. Seattle and what happens yeah. to San Francisco. It is just like People come in, people with money come in, and they just, mm -hmm. they don't deal with the reality of the place. They come in to create a reality, of the a, yeah. a new reality of the place. Yeah, uh, and Seattle was really good at, you know, having advertising campaigns like, come visit the Pacific Northwest, like, you know, the travel commercials that used to be on TV. And yeah. it would show, like, the art scene and the music scene. And then and just the, the art scene and the music scene couldn't... It's such a beautiful place. It was. Yeah. Kind of is, no, I guess. No, it is. I mean, just the n nature wise, you know, yeah. nature wise, you got to just the greenery and the water. Mm -hmm. And it's no, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. And now I like there are still really great people there, but I also think it's the angriest place mm. that I've I've ever been. Wow. I've never been anywhere with like such bad social human to human vibe wow it's not good yeah but 
the really great people are still there. And I think they kind of foster these little micro scenes of people who can still have that open friendliness together. Yeah. Um, what made you, did you choose Chicago just because you had friends and band? Well, you said, and then and the record company was there. Yeah, um, and I loved it. I loved yeah. the the buildings. I it's loved, a good town. It's a fucking yeah. great town. Yeah, yeah. I still love it. And, I do too. Uh, oh my god i I would have stayed, but I couldn't afford to stay anymore. Um, In what sense? And, well, I I lived there for a few years and. Uh, I remember I got after, I don't know, almost 15 years of being in a band, I got like a royalty check of everything that I'd been owed. And I had like this, I think it was like $20,000. And I had never had anything nearing that amount of money in my life. And it scared the living shit out of me. And um, I was like, okay, if I don't do something with this money now it's going to like, it's going to disappear. Yeah. And so I remember I spoke to the landlord of our building in Chicago with some of the other neighbors in the building, like, Hey, can we buy this building? You guys aren't doing anything with it. And they were like, we're gonna, they were lawyers and they were total assholes. They were like, we should put a lawsuit on you for even asking. Like they were (laughs) the most litigious people I've ever, they were so overly litigious. But so I was like, okay, well I can't, afford to live in Chicago and everything in Chicago at that time was like half a million dollars for a house seen on cops earlier yeah, that week. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I've always lived in really violent neighborhoods and I don't want to do it anymore. I want to, I mean, I want to, Yeah, I'd stay here if I could, but like that's, I don't have that kind of money. So I ended up going to Tucson because I worked there a lot and I felt relaxed there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll just, I will have a new adventure. So I moved to Tucson and I loved it and it was wonderful. And uh, I made a lot of records there. Yeah. And That's... I realized you could still have really close relationships with people, not that in a different city. And it wasn't, right. it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, that I mean, that's kind of like a cool thing that you got to pick and choose city. You know, you hang out in Tucson, Tucson for a little while and go like, you know what, this is all right. You know, I mean, it's not. I'd show up in a town, fuck everybody, <laughs> suck the life out of it, move on. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it smoldering I'm ruins. I really do that. <laughs> Old neutron bomb case. <sighs> yeah. Now, you... You have, you know, your your voice, is, I, if I can be all gushy, is just an amazing force, and it, it is such a truly an instrument. And thank you. Na- well, you're welcome. And uh, is there any kind, like, is there training involved, or you just is this just a product of getting on stage and and doing it? Um, I think it's just from doing it. Really, I, and it's from the desire. Yeah, like the, the, the hyper focused kind of. Uh, it's like a really restless desire feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, that I still have. It looks very different than it used to, but 
it's a uh, it's definitely I'm not a disciplined person. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely more of an impulse or a, I'm trying to think of the right word, which I totally know yet for some reason, since I'm on the spot, I can't. Instinctive? No. I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Okay. But I want to do a really good job and I try really hard. Yeah. Dude, compulsion do you, is the word I was I trying see, to think I of. See. Compulsion, yes. So there was just no chance of you being a middling singer. You're going to be a. No, I could be. I'm sure I could be a really middling singer, and I'm. I still definitely think of myself as one. So, like, I'm never going to arrive somewhere where I'm like listening to my own singing and going, "You are good." Uh, like there's just it's a catch 22 like yeah, if you want yeah. i mean i know that there are people who feel that way about themselves but i hear myself too much and uh, i don't know it, when you really love music and you i'm sure i sing because of other singers and just the way they affected me and how i feel when i listen to them i'm never going to be them and I think there's something about, you know, just the way we grow up in this culture that, like, if you're not completely someone else, you've somehow failed. Yeah. Like, it's in yourself, I guess. Yeah. It, it, it's like a, maybe it's just a childhood thing that didn't go away because I didn't really have any guidance. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that could be. No, I'm not sure. I think, well, I think, too. I mean, my version of that is things that... uh Things that I'm good at without having to work too hard at, um, I devalue. Like if mm-hmm. I and I, I mean, and I, you know, I make a living being a bullshitter and being a pretender and being a joke maker, and mm-hmm. so I obviously can do these things, and they, and they are valued things. You know, people pay money for them, but the parts of it that I didn't have to work at that are just kind of like something that was in me that I just kind of learned to manipulate, I still just feel like, well, that doesn't count. I mean, that's just that's just my bullshit coming out, and I found a racket yeah. to, to make a few dollars off it. Yeah. You think that's a similar kind of feeling? I, or? I, think, I think it is. Yeah. And, you know, just being a person who, you know, I've dealt with depression and low self-esteem, and I think that plays into and my family when I was I remember when I was little and they did not talk about themselves a because they were immigrants but also it was vanity was considered one of the worst possible sins yeah so like if you talked about yourself too much you might get well no bragging now or something or don't get too big for your britches don't be vain yeah Yeah. and so i think that really hit me as something that would be really embarrassing yeah was to be vain yeah and to overvalue myself so yeah i think i just like have a real tone it down kind of machine in there that's like yeah don't don't do it now, it, at, at at what point do you start writing songs? I mean, are you doing that right from the get-go? I found it easier to write songs than to learn to play other people's songs because I'm not like a natural guitar player. Uh-huh. 
Um, so making the chords could be done. Figuring out the chords to other people's songs took a long time, so I just started making up my own. And yeah. I had been writing songs lyrically with a band, Mao, that I was in um, with two other ladies. And so I, I had a little bit of experience to fall back on, and, and we would write them together and and supported each other. And so mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of fun. Yeah. And they, you know, the, the act of that, you know, where you're actually, you know, that, cause I think, you know, you kind of start from sort of a punk scene and mm -hmm. the songs are kind of more, I, I just, I, you know, it's punk, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not expressing sort of the deeper, the deeper, more grown up feelings I would imagine. And I mean, and, how does how does that evolution? We take wrote a song about you? beating people up, yeah, see, people, yeah, yeah, as you should, stuff and yeah, as you should, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but at a certain point, you've got to start writing about your feelings, and um, I know is that difficult. I mean, was that difficult? I think my love of country music made that not difficult. Okay, because country like music really supports the idea that you sing about your most grievous experience yeah. happening without any irony either there's no layer exactly. of like i'm distanced from this i'm sad and i'm singing about how sad i am yeah yeah and you know my grandma she listened to like things as modern as like clint black and stuff and she mm -hmm. still watched the opry but you know the records she had in her house were like the the classics you know she had patsy klein and loretta lynn and you know hank williams and stuff and those people, like Hank Williams specifically, could write something that would just gut you in the most simplest language. Yeah. And that was a skill that I thought, I see people even now try to do it, and they don't even realize how far, how far off the mark they are. It's like, right. no, dude. Yeah. Yeah, you either Please kinda... don't write another song about drinking stuff. Please yeah, don't. Yeah. You know, driving your truck down to the river and, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. The country, the country of now, like that's not even. It doesn't. It's pussy rock. It, if you, it's, it, it's like dude, pussy rock I, with different accents. I would call it accents. pussy rock if pussies were allowed anywhere near it. But it is this <laughs> extremely heterosexual white male scene. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, no, or I don't... on the surface anyway. When I tell people I like country music and they go like, do you like? And then they'll name somebody from the last 10 minutes. And I'm like, I don't have a fucking clue as to who that is. You're, you know? you're like, S no. Yeah. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that country music. Um, well, now your songwriting is, it has, it's not like anybody else's. It's like it, it, there's very much unique sort of structure and phrasing and the way that it hits the you know, I'm generalizing over all of your songs, but, you know, but like, you, okay, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, you know, like the approach to the chorus, it's, it's like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but it's all a little bit kind of muddied up, like messed up. Like you don't, you play with it as much, you know, and what, it the, was also where necessary. do you get off doing that is what I'm saying. It's like, it's, it's a really brave way to write a song. Well, it's one of the 
The luxuries of not knowing exactly how wrong you are if you're not trained in something. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like, okay, I'm at the end of what's considered the verse, but I'm not done saying that thing, so I'm going to have to add something there. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I, I really had it in my mind, like, why do we have to go verse, chorus, verse, chorus? What if the song doesn't have a chorus? Yeah. Like that was kind of the punk rock part of me that was like, why does it got to do that? Yeah. But then I also enjoyed, I don't know, like I think I got way more into the story than I realized I would. And so I, I realized that editing is probably the greatest skill you can have when you're writing a song. But then sometimes there are things when you don't go down the road of kill your darlings and you decide to accommodate for your darlings, yeah. that also is kind of okay and can make something really interesting. Yeah. The combo of the two yeah. seems to work good. But yeah, I definitely tried to do things differently at a certain point. And then my other band, the New Pornographers, you know, we would go on a tour and there would be five people singing harmonies and I would be like, well, choruses are kind of badass. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Maybe they're not total. I could maybe put some in. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I always think uh, like I love, I love and appreciate people that break the form. But then I also, as I've gotten older, I realized there, the form exists for a reason. Like we as a species got together and said, yeah, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. That's, I like that, you know? Yeah, I think that was like a radio thing or something or yeah. how long we could fit on this disc. Yeah. It's like, we're not going to use the dictaphone anymore, so now we're going to go with this flat thing. And yeah. how many minutes will this hold? Like, yeah. it probably has to do with that, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, what do you, I mean, I know this is, a, you know, the, the whole gimmick of this thing is three questions and the second one is where are you going and um you know do where are you going what do you what do you do you have any sort of plans or is it kind of just one foot in front of the other do you have a is there a is there a a, a blueprint that you're following or um no trying to get my house built that would be good like the, where, where are you the in fire the fire situation really made me realize, all right, making plans is really dumb because yeah. your house could burn down and now yeah. we're in the middle of a pandemic. So that's also rather sobering in the world of plan making. Um, are you in like temporary housing on the property? Or? I'm in like a piece of my house that didn't burn down, which is oh, like wow. the kitchen and the breakfast nook. And so we kind of built onto that. And yeah. so we have a livable area. But most of my house is just kind of a drywall shell. I see. And a terrifying and, basement. Well, there's no basement. Anymore. Wait, what is, what is that? Well, there you were posting pictures online of like. Oh, that's in uh, that's in the building in town where we have uh, our practice space. Oh, okay. It's in an old post office. Oh, wow. And uh, that building is like 4,000 square feet and it's just a concrete box. And it's endless rooms that used to accommodate like giant oil 
containers and furnaces and things to run sorting machines a government building yeah. yeah at the time i mean it closed down in the 60s i think but it, that basement was everything from boiler furnace area to they used to have uso dances there <laughs> and you know and all the people who used to go to them are still alive and are happy to tell you about them which is pretty exciting which <laughs> that's is one awesome of the reasons i love it that's very yeah. helpful yeah 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 so any beyond the house? I mean, uh, you know, it'd be nice if you had a, a nice place to live, I suppose. Um, well, I'm working on, uh, you know, songs for a musical that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. Um, but collaborating that, or, or yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, it, it's it's really a heavy experience, and you know, I know nothing about. Broadway and I know nothing about that world so it's been a very interesting learning experience and it's been a very heavy duty collaborative as far as like working with other people who are making the story and that's been really fun yeah I love it yeah because a lot of you know with my own band I'm the boss of everything and that is exhausting and being a control freak definitely does not doesn't really satisfy. So thank goodness for the new pornographers and this job because they balance all that out. Yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, I've always I've always liked doing different stuff and enjoyed the way that they all inform each other that any one yeah. gig makes me better at another gig, you know. Mm-hmm. And it creates a kind of holistic understanding. Um was there uh, anything that you want to plug right now? I know, I know, I know. I, I I like that you have been specific about where people can get your music, where you actually get some money from it. Um, yes, and and go ahead and tell people where they should be listening to your catalog. Well, my website is the best place to get my music. Local record stores, the little ones, are the, the, the best place. Yeah. Because you help me and you help a local record store. So that's my favorite. But if you're just like, you know, buying online, like you don't want the actual physical copy, um, my website has a link to how to buy them from me and my record company, uh, Anti Records, who are not mine, like I don't own them. But we are, we're partners, you know, and we definitely work together to help each other, so... Cool. Or just on tour, which obviously we're not on tour, but yeah, that's, I think that's the best way to buy anybody's music is to go to their website. There's usually a, a thing. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't even remember my job right now. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> that's right. I'm not There's just a building a house. of those things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Well, um, What's the, you know, the, then the third question of this is, uh, what have you learned? And I mean, is there sort of, do people seek out advice, you out for advice? Or, you know, are there people that sort of like, they, I want to be sometimes. you. Yeah. I mean, do um, you have sort of a set I always, answer? I or? always had like the idea that you don't have to be dicks to people. Yeah. In, in the world to get what you want. That's and, a really good one. And, you know. There was a point where I I always believed it 
But, you know, when you go into a hard situation, there's there's points where you like second guess yourself or, well, that's going to make it a lot easier. Or you, if somebody really makes you feel sick inside your stomach, don't fucking work with them. You don't have to. Yeah. And something else will come along. It always does. Yeah. And own your recordings. Yeah. Own your own recordings. I guess I guess that's what I've learned. It, I mean, way more than that. But I I think I'd have to write a book about it <laughs> to like get it all in there. Is that something you ever think of doing? Do you th- think about writing yeah. books? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I want to write a book like that about music and art, and then I just want to write a fiction book. Yeah. Because stories are great. They are great. There, I could you know. I could listen to them all day. I I love stories. You and me yeah. both. Yeah. Well, Nico, thank you so much for taking time to do this. Um, I really appreciate thank it. You. Yeah. And, you know, you were always there for me in the early days of making music. Oh, thank you. I I remember, you know, you and Conan came on right in like the really important years living in Tacoma and. I would watch the show with all my friends oh, and thanks. we would tune in on purpose and yeah. Yeah. We had really, we, we got to, well, we had a great, a, a guy named Jim Pitt uh, was mm-hmm. our band. Booker. I remember Jim yeah. Pitt. And um, he works for Jimmy Kimmel now. And, uh, but he, he was great. He just, he mm-hmm. picked such, he had such great taste, which is, you know, that's that job is, being a tastemaker and also like a, you know, you got to deal with some pretty colorful personalities. So you got to learn how to kind of mediate. But we also too, we were, you know, we used to get guests just because we were kind of the new small junior show that we would, we didn't, we couldn't get the big guests. So we would have people like Shelly Winters on or, you know, an up and coming Gwyneth <sighs> Paltrow or, you know, and I mean, and yeah. I loved it. It was perfect. And it was the same thing with musical acts. Like you too, wasn't going to come on, but we could get you, you know, we could get like all these bands that weren't going to be on other places on television. And it was one of the really kind of magical things about those early years. Um, yeah. And, and like that- before I even like ever got to be even on tour, like just a person who loved music, living in Tacoma, Washington, like your show had just started and you guys were so fucking weird and funny. <laughs> like it's exactly what we were open to. And it was so much weirder than David Letterman. And it wasn't like I had to choose between the two things, but I grew up on David Letterman and Johnny Carson and I loved both of them too. So this was like, it's like a show like that, but like just for us, yeah. it felt so personal and and with guys that don't know what they're doing. So, you know, and we're Tamari, just the ostrich? It. Oh, what? yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were just kind of there for anyone to say that there was some sort of game plan. Now, we just were just swimming as fast as we could so we didn't drown, you know. And so we did things like, hey, what if there was an ostrich that just came out and brought the card for. <laughs> for what's on the show tomorrow who's on the show tomorrow and they built this amazing ostrich costume um 
And a guy when named the D- toothpaste came out the ostrich's nose, <laughs> I think I pissed in my pants. I was laughing so hard. Yeah. It was like that triple stripe yeah, toothpaste, yeah, yeah. too. It was like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> the guy, one of my favorite sites during those years was the guy, a guy named Dino Stamatopoulos. That was his bit. And he also was Tamari. He was in the outfit. And he would walk around with the ostrich legs on, but obviously without the ostrich. So in a bathrobe and the ostrich legs. And he one time was in a fight, in an argument with somebody, you know, and I mean, he's one of those people that comedy can be like a jihad. You know, it's a very serious about, you know, mm-hmm. what's funny and what's not. And he was having an argument with somebody and he was saying things like, you know, like, you're a fucking hack while wearing ostrich legs and a bathrobe you're like getting really fucking heated about something you know with somebody but with ostrich legs on it was fantastic well only salute (laughs) uh, tamari thank you tamari oh all right well so much of the stuff on the show like over the years i it really will be part of like it's never leaving me that's ever that's so great you. to hear. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. And thank you for uh, spending this time with me. And good luck. It is my pleasure. Good luck. And I hope to see you in person at some point in this life, you know, Indeed. around campus. And please tell me what your kids think of Repo Man. I will. I definitely will. I, will. I would love to 100%. Hear that. All awesome. right. Well, thank you very much, Nico. And thank, thank you. you all out there for listening. And uh, we will get back at you next time on the three questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The three questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Golit Sahayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.